0: Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, Boeing is back delivering Dreamliners, but why do supply chain issues mean airlines can't sleep easy yet over aircraft delays? And after the return of the Farnborough Show last month, did we learn anything new about the industry? My name's Graham Dunn and joining me is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper.
1: Hi Graham, how are you?
0: Yes good good and uh enjoying the traditional summer downtime of the uh, of the airline industry it's uh, weirdly sort of post air show there's usually a pretty quiet period of activity i uh went away on holiday and i i think you <laughs> you you'd agree that it wasn't very quiet
1: <laughs> yeah no i, I think um yeah, I think it was fair that you you presume that would be a quiet period to go away for. But um yeah, I think in many ways it's it's been anything but and we'll we'll talk a bit about the order side of the the, the post air show period in a bit. But obviously, yeah, we as you mentioned in the intro, a, a really key development in the the past few days has been um, the resumption of 787 deliveries so best part of two years without those wide body jets being being delivered into fleets and you know in in what is probably the best news for Boeing more than anyone else um yeah they're they're back being delivered now
0: yes yeah, so uh American Airlines were the first air, uh, airline to take a, an aircraft from the resumed batch which um, Boeing delivered last week uh that's the first aircraft they've taken since April 2021 you know, clearly positive for um, Boeing to be delivering again, but also for, for the airlines who've been waiting for these aircraft. But I guess you would argue if there had to be a time to not take aircraft, a global pandemic is probably as good a time as that could come.
1: Yeah, that that's the curious thing about this situation, really, because you as much as you would you know, some airline CEOs have been heard over recent months to be complaining about the, the situation. There's also a sense, you, you can tell by the way they're talking about it, that very few airlines have been crying out for wide body capacity. As you mentioned, October 2020 was kind of you know, the really dark times for the industry. So at that point, you know, this wasn't a big deal. Clearly, things are a lot better now. But even saying that, you, know, you look at some of the airlines who are big 787 customers, and that covers you know, it's probably easier to name a network carrier that isn't than, than is. But, you know, look at Emirates, for example, I know mean, they've, they've got plans to use that type on, on thinner routes, maybe, but but generally, their current fleet isn't fully back in action yet. Um, airline like Lufthansa, they, they've they got some, um, I think unusually among peers that haven't had delivery of any um, 787s yet, I think they've got 32 on order. Um, but again, they're not, you know, the recent earnings season was, was all about this big recovery in demand but long haul is the, the slowest to come back and you know some markets like transatlantic are very strong but clearly asia pacific is still is still a, a market that um, has a long way to go and particularly on long haul you know whether you're based in that region or anywhere else you know not having that market is quite a big deal so it could have been far worse timing for the 787 to, to not be delivered on the other hand there are clearly considerations around you know what these aircraft do for an airline so you know Sustainability being you know, one key focus, if you're having to keep those old types in in service for a long time, it's, it's clearly not great. So it makes the issue more pressing and it does make planning harder, clearly, generally, um, with the ambiguity around when this is all going to restart. But yeah, I think the the main relief will be with Boeing, and and maybe the timing is quite good because hopefully um, a lot of airlines are now looking into twenty twenty three, mid twenty twenty three, to hopefully be you know when they're they're back in action. But until China, for example, is is fully reopened, I think that there is still going to be a, a bit of a gap in that that long haul market.
0: Yes, and I think the other part of it is that you know this is a very specific issue to to the seven eight seven, the wider supply chain challenges which are uh, putting pressure on not just aircraft manufacturers you know all all aspects of society Pull stop those remain and those um you know aren't going away easily they remain sort of challenges so and obviously the the, the ramp up in production and delivering the aircraft that um at the kind of levels that was, was being seen before the crisis and which would match demand as uh, the interest to go up remains a big challenge and i guess Airlines must will still be braced for a level of uncertainty in terms of of when aircraft can be delivered
1: yeah you're right there and I think um on the wide body side I was listening to rolls-royce results um recently and Warren East, the outgoing chief executive made the point that you know, Rolls Royce is obviously very you know is a wide body focused um, in terms of commercial engines, and um, you know the supply chain pressures there aren't such a big deal at the moment because that wide body market is taking longer to come back, and you know that that demand for new aircraft types, you know, in, in pure numbers, but also in terms of the COVID recovery, just isn't isn't as strong. But as you say, um, when we talk about supply chain issues. It's touching everything at the moment, as you say, all parts of life. But for the airline industry and for the manufacturers, we look at Boeing, you know. We did a story recently just talking about, you know, as one example, talking about if supply chain issues affecting production of wings for the 737. We know that, you know, Airbus is wants to ramp up A320 production, but the supply chain issues are a concern there. And more broadly, we we look at MRO and you know we've heard from air baltic for example that you know they're having to ground up to 6 of their a220s because because they can't um, source the the engine parts that are that, that needed during the MRI processes. So you know, there's just a sense generally in the in terms of the metal side of things that, you know, this really pacey recovery is perhaps not going to be kept up with by by that side of the industry. And at the same time, you know, we talk about capacity constraints and we know too well in Europe, obviously in other regions, that these supply supply issues, you know, also affecting labour. So we don't need to go over them again, but obviously, we've heard talked a lot about what's happening in Europe and airports, you know, putting caps on capacity, and obviously, that's directly affecting airlines as well, struggling to recruit, um, whether that's directly for cabin crew roles, whatever pilots, or or the ground handling side of things. So, there really are a lot of things that are constraining capacity, and I think maybe there's a sense at some point soon, you know, that rocketing demand. With the caveat that we talked in I think the last pod about the the, the big economic challenges ahead, but at some point that Rockington demand not only will meet that those economic challenges, but also this kind of capacity constraint that um, that may have an impact, sort of quite significant impact really on you know the the shape of the industry over the coming few years.
0: And I guess there is a sense though that for an industry that has historically um, <laughs> tended to sort of rush capacity back uh, when there's uh, an opportunity and and there is a sense that these artificial there, there's a, there's a, almost artificial caps being created by the supply chain issues uh across the board of which aircraft uh, delivery delays are, are one of them but to some extent that that is helping airlines are in terms of the yield environment and profitability and and you know arguably that's helping airlines to be sort of more cautious and profitable. Than they perhaps might otherwise be with this demand opportunity that is out there.
1: Yeah, as with many things, with the COVID situation is really a curious situation where you, you, know, after two years of being desperate to fly again, there's kind of CEOs now saying, "Well, we're actually quite pleased that we're not able to to grow as quickly as um as we uh, as we wanted." But as you say, that capacity constraint brings with it, if conditions are right, the prospect of higher yields because fares will go up because there just isn't that ability to serve the demand. And, and you know, Carsten spore, for example, during Lufthansa's results talked about this and basically said the era of overcapacity is over. You know, that, those, that range of constraints on capacity, whether it's on the, the metal side of things or on airports and, and staffing generally, will mean that, you know, we'll support, you know, strong yields for the business in in the coming, certainly in the, the near term. And there's a sense that that's um, potentially a, a positive and, you know, when we talk about over capacity um Air France KLM, for example, in their their results, um Ben Smith, the group CEO, talked about from Paris how much they're enjoying not having Norwegian around. And if there's an airline that is a cautionary tale about adding um capacity quickly, um it's, it's you know, Norwegian on the long haul probably is a good example. So there, there are stories there. We know that Ryanair, Michael O'Leary is a fan of talking up fares, and that's clearly there's a lot of self-interest in this, but yeah, there is a sense that we are reaching a point where yeah, that, that capacity is just not going to be there, and that as we talked about, that's for a variety of reasons of which metal is a part. So yeah, it's it's an an interesting market. Consequences of that, of course, could be that airlines want that organic growth they, they they want to see a way forward and that certainly one of the downsides to this situation is it does feel like there's a cap in many cases so arguably that could make consolidation more attractive we'll, we'll wait and see on that because you know we're seeing some examples you know in the US and we in the past few days we've seen um IEG firm up that 20% stake in Air Europa for example but there are clearly challenges in, in in them taking full control there but there's certainly uh um, in that constrained capacity environment, maybe that the you know purchasing a arrival or a merger maybe starts to to feel more attractive in order to get that growth.
0: So we talked a bit about the delivery environment and some of the delivery aircraft delivery challenges that airlines are currently facing. Off the break, we'll take a look at the order picture and have a, a look at how Farlborough went. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not sign up for free to get the weekly airline business briefing delivered direct to your inbox every Thursday. You can register to get our weekly briefing together with any of Flight Global's other newsletters for free at flightglobal.com forward slash newsletter. So welcome back. And um, just uh, in in the Hottest days of the UK. Hottest day, in fact, at, <laughs> on record for the UK. Slap bang in the middle of that. When else would you want the hottest day in the UK to be other than at the Farnborough Air Show? That was quite a hot one to be covering this year, wasn't it?
1: It was a bit, yeah. It does feel like those big air shows seem to attract the extremes of weather. I mean, I remember a recent Paris where there was some quite significant flooding. I think on on the, uh, the, the sort of thing the day before it officially opened. But but yeah, no, it, it was incredibly uh, hot there. Um, we were in the chalet where the air conditioning kind of it, it a valiant effort effort up to about midday, I think, and then um, then it lost the fight. So yeah, yeah, it, would, uh, it was memorable for for that reason, but maybe not so much on the. Uh, on the actual order activity front?
0: No, I mean, it's, I mean, the air shows, the big air show, Farnborough and Paris, you know, they have become the key point in the year of uh, aircraft order announcements. Uh, we've obviously seen a huge amount of of orders and deliveries over the past decade with one form or another. And, you know, the opportunity for airlines and and the manufacturers to use these big global air shows with, you know the world's media there with to sort of showcase you know their bulging order books you know and as a result we, we've been used to you know in previous years is going from press conference to press conference announcement to announcement a huge share of aircraft orders uh, saved up probably for the air shows and this year it had a sort of a very different feel particularly for airbus
1: yes it was a curious one really because clearly the the airframe in most need of that for a big show like that was is Boeing because of it's, we touched on some of the challenges in the first half of this and to extent we got that um yeah, another thing that kind of was the theme of this show was sometimes Airframe was kind of re-announcing orders that we already knew about so we have to be a bit careful at times that we were recording stuff that was actually new but yeah as you say it was a weird one and, and certainly on the side of Airbus it you know i joked recently that it felt like they almost had the wrong week for Farmer in their in their diary you know the Airbus is commercial they're given sorry the, the order activity that happened immediately before and immediately after the show yeah, their commercial chief Christian Shearer addressed that in the um one of their last press conferences, which was um, confirming an EasyJet order, you know, saying that they've been doing a lot of discussions behind the scenes and kind of playing down the significance of, of using the show to announce things. And to be fair to him, um they've certainly stuck by that as, as we say, because we've seen quite a lot of activity since the show. Um but yeah, it was curious from that point of view. And because of that lack of big Airbus activity, you know. A few significant bits from Boeing, including a it kicked off with a Delta order on, on the first day, which really felt like, oh, well, here we go. look mm-hmm. You know, we're going to get, yeah, not un- unusual to get into the thousands of commitments at, at these shows. But it, it never really picked up from there, did it?
0: No. I mean, that Delta was the largest individual order for Manx aircraft. We saw bits and pieces that kind of followed. There was some activity from the aircraft lessor's probably not as strong as previous years and you know a lot of the business was top-up orders Mm. so deltas was a, a first commitment for the for the max and we we saw qatar firming up its max commitment as well but you know whether that be some of the aircraft orders for the lessors or the deal, EasyJet, EasyJet and Latam's uh, Airbus commitments. You know a lot of those were add-ons ex- extending their existing order book, which kind of says a bit probably where the where the market is right now. Uh, as you say we track the orders during the show at, at flyglobal.com we we try and cover the, the order announcements that we get there recognizing that some of them are firming up of previous deals and uh, some of them are kind of commitments which you know will be firmed up later in the year so it's you know these are never an absolute number but as a, a guidance this year there were 441 of those and uh, the farm show in 2018 there were almost 1500 So that illustrates the scale in which it was a quieter show, there was some, you know, the the regional airframers did bits and pieces with Embraer and um, ATR as well, but largely a quiet show yet, as as you you were mentioning, Airbus has kind of sandwiched the show with, you know, strong order activity both before and after. Uh, Including just a couple of days ago, Malaysia Airlines uh, making a commitment for uh, A330s.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it kind of um, just before the show, we saw the big three Chinese carriers place an order for I think around three hundred A320neo family jets. And uh, yeah, at the time, that maybe at the time you're thinking, well, China's not open yet. Clearly, there's maybe good reason why the executives wouldn't wouldn't be at the show. So you kind of, in some ways, feels. Fair enough. But then, you know, literally on the Monday after Bomber, <laughs> we wake up and Condor has, you know, announced a commitment for um, 41 A320neo family jets. You know, a couple of days later, IAG adds to it some um, A320neo orders. You know, Ethiopian announced it's converting four dash 900s to, to thousands. And as you say, then we we have the Malaysia order. So none of them are groundbreaking. And and, uh, generally, this period has lacked those sort of kind of centrepiece orders that maybe all the airframers want. Although the China one clearly is is a pretty big one for Airbus. But yeah, it's um, the period does reflect the state of the industry. No one, yeah, we're still coming out of the biggest ever crisis where A reasonable number of airlines aren't quite at the point where they've got their all their fleets back in action particularly if you look at asia and as we talked on earlier on the wide body side of things from across the board in many cases so yeah that yeah the sense that um that it's the time to be placing those usual orders. Maybe it, it, would, it was an unrealistic expectation of the industry. Um, but having said that, you know, if you if you take together, you know, if Airbus had announced all of that stuff that happened either side of the show at the show. I think it would have given the um different mood at the show, I think. And I think possibly because of that, this this situation, you know, says a lot about the industry. The way the orders happened probably says, you know, more about how Airbus viewed the show. Um, unusually, because they've usually been um, big on on announcements at the big air shows.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing about the show, you know, I think it felt like the most back to normal show that I've been to since then in terms of COVID restrictions and COVID requirements that you know it felt like a relatively normal show being there on the on the ground which is really positive but you you know you are aware that it's still an industry coming back from this massive issue and also that we're not on the cusp of are airbus or boeing going to launch new aircraft programs or, or new developments i think in a lot of the previous years there's been okay we expect to hear about innovations on on the wide bodies with various aircraft that have been you know, to, to my mind a surprisingly large number of new aircraft models or variants that have been announced over, over this past decade or so but it, to some extent the big issue to ask the airframers was about ramp up about production rates about supply chains So that kind of theme dominated a bit. So you didn't really have, you know, and that's one of the other things that quite often brings um, those aircraft orders with them is is if there's a launch of a model and there's, you know, accompanying launch orders that go with that. And, you know, we have obviously seen both Airbus and Boeing develop and offer new cargo models. I mean, there wasn't a great deal of uh, order activity in that space, although that market is clearly a a much smaller one than um, the wide-body passenger market.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that was, yeah, it felt like if, you know, any market was going to, you know, stand out of the show going into it, it did feel like the cargo would be an area, but as you talk about that, there's a much smaller area of the market, and, um, and yeah, but even so, it didn't quite, um, yeah, there weren't any bumper surprise orders there, but you're absolutely right on the you know, often the the, the bumper orders of a company a new program. I guess the closest you get to that is you know, the max 10 where where going into the show there are concerns about the program. So Boeing did get that kind of um lift with some commitments for that. But yeah, it was a show light on on that kind of innovation on that side of, of the, the market. But on the on the other hand, of course, everyone wants to be talking about sustainability. And while we're a long way off, I think seeing a show where we get bumper orders maybe for a you know new aircraft type with a new generation engine, I think still people are very keen to talk about sustainability. And um, and that, you know, from a news angle, you know, let's be honest, the industry is working hard on this, but it doesn't exactly yield big stories at the moment. You know, people know what needs to be done on, on sustainable fuel, for example. Yeah, everyone knows that we need to get to the point where we're ramping up commercial production. On the technology side, there were some interesting announcements, the GE testing, testing, a hybrid engine at 40,000 feet. These kind of things that, that are all really important developments, but they just don't kind of bring the, the excitement you get with the orders. And everyone knows we're kind of a, a still a way off these breakthroughs really having a big impact on the industry.
0: Yeah, I think it it, it serves as a reminder of, you know, so, as, so as journalists, we have our own timelines of how quickly you want stories to develop and how quickly you want to, things to move on, what kind of excites us and, and gets things going. But I think it, it, it serves... It's a real reminder of the scale and the size of the task the industry faces to really decarbonize and for technology to play a, a big role in that. You know, we we are seeing developments of electric aircraft. We saw more announcements of Farnborough. We will see see stuff on the fringes of regional aviation. That's obviously the the opportunity where it can first do stuff. But that, you know, even that is over the next you know couple of year timeline horizon, and that's on the fringes of it so much of the big step tech change technology we're looking at for decarbonizing aviation that is a long journey so exactly as you say i i don't think there was anyone who wasn't talking about that and people were able to point to progress there were developments but it is a real reminder of how long that journey is you're not going to see uh, overnight solutions, and that, of course, is why you know the airline industry is having to look at things like carbon offsetting, why and why sustainable uh, aviation fuels play such a part in that near-term horizon.
1: Exactly, yeah, and I think um, if anyone needed a reminder of why these things are important, of course, as you mentioned, we were at Air Show on the the hottest day ever recorded in in the UK, and. Yeah, as you say, everyone everyone was talking about it. But yeah, that that step change, certainly when we're you know, large scale commercial aviation markets, we're looking at on the technology side is a way off. That's why, as you say, sustainable aviation fuel and, and offsetting to an extent are, are big parts of this. And it does create a, an, an interesting challenge for the industry, really. We've, we've touched on before, but we're seeing the impacts of, of climate change um, in our day to day lives. The, the solutions aren't to hand at the moment. So, if we're at a big airshow like this in 10 years' time, what it's going to be fascinating to see where the industry is, really, I think more than ever, because the step changes we're to this looking to achieve are obviously a make or break in, in many cases. And I think it makes it a really interesting industry to, to cover, but it's going to be an interesting journey anyway. And on the SAF side of things, I think the reason that is particularly important, and in the context of aircraft orders, talk to even the most committed um, sustainability advocate and airline, and they will acknowledge that airlines are investing in fleets at the moment that yeah will operate with sustainable aviation fuel. But yeah, airlines aren't going to want to just drop those aircraft. The you know, immediately if a yeah, new generation electric aircraft or hydrogen aircraft or hybrid option becomes available, these are big investments for airlines at the moment. Um, yeah, these fleets are designed to be in place for decades. So that that is why you know the technology is clearly really important and why it is particularly on the larger aircraft side of things longer term and that is and you know SAF is sort of everything in terms of really making the difference, I think, when you look over the next 10 20 years. I think that comes online at a pace. That's really what's going to make the difference. The technology is clearly crucial and in, in, in the, the, the the longer term.
0: Absolutely. So um whether it be ten years time or what is time in Paris, we <laughs> will see. Lewis, thanks for your time today.
1: Thanks, Greg.
0: That's what we've got time for. You find links to the stories we've referenced, including all the news from the Barbara Air show and those aircraft orders we were talking about in the podcast notes. And you can uh, keep up to date with all the latest stories from across the industry at blogglobal.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. And we'll see you again next time.